bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And let me do, before I introduce our guest, let me do some housekeeping. Okay. So um, we actually uh, do this work on our own and love, love, love bringing you the topics and the people who are the who we bring on as guests to talk about topics but we do need support and you can support us for the price of a grande per month since i know a lot of you are boycotting starbucks um so use that money to support bad and bitchy at badandbitchy.com rate us on apple podcasts and spotify and share it with your networks now if you all have um, suggestions, questions, or comments, email us at bad and bitchy. Oh, sorry. Email us at badandbpod at gmail.com. And of course, as the social media devils have thrust upon us their supremacy, you can follow us on Twitter at bad and bitchy and Instagram at bad and bitchy pod. So let me introduce our guest, Khadijah Thornhill, who is an insurer for cannabis companies. Yes, we're going to talk about Black women and cannabis today. So this is something I've been wanting to do for a while because I think it's such an interesting intersection and also, you know, it's something that's not really talked about as much. So we're going to go through a little bit about the cannabis industry, a little bit about so, about women in the cannabis industry, a lot on Black women in the cannabis industry. So welcome, Khadijah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And you are Afro Bud Sisters, right? The Afro-Canada Bud Sisters. We're an organization. Oh, okay. Yeah. So tell us about that. Well, we actually started just about four years ago. March 10th will be our anniversary. And in March of 2020, basically, a girlfriend and I had gotten together after seek, like finding out accidentally that each one of us smoked cannabis. So she came over and we're in our garage and she said, there's got to be more women like us out there. And I said, there absolutely are. It's just we're not used to being up front. You see? Yeah, because... When you think about your relationship with weed before legalization, how, were you upfront about it? Were you were you vocal about it, or were you used to keeping it undercover? No, I had to go to my dealer to get some good shit. You know, oh, that was good shit too. Uh, yeah, but were you upfront at the office, or were you? Oh were hell you no! Oh okay. hell no! What about around your family? Oh fuck no! I have. I have West Indian parents, okay? There's, like, I don't, now that it's legal, I let a little bit through. But even then, I'm like, let's not talk about this. Right. When they don't ask. Because they know the truth. <laughs> right? But the stigma also, when you look at it, the stigma attaches itself to our 
our community for a reason. And the reason is because we were the ones that were persecuted. It wasn't white girls and white guys that were getting stopped because they had little roaches. But I'd been with someone who was stopped, who was a black man, stopped in New York City for a little roach in his pocket. And he wasn't even smoking it. But of course, they wanted to search him. And they're like, what is this? And they gave him a citation for it, for a roach that was the size of my my thumb, my thumbnail. So um, when you look at the illegal, app, like the unequal application of cannabis enforcement and drug law enforcement, there's a reason why Black people are used to um, being nervous and we're used to hiding it. It's because we were the ones that would be jailed. We'd lose our jobs. We'd get records for using cannabis. And our white counterparts didn't in, in, encounter these types of struggles in these barriers. So they don't have that kind of relationship. Their parents don't have that kind of relationship with me. If you go into, especially in 2018, if you went into an indigenous-owned dispensary, um, I'm telling you now, all the clients would have been over 60 and they all would have been white. You know, so there's a reason why they didn't have a stigma and they're happy to use it for their arthritic pain, for, you know, different ailments that they find it helps anxiety, mental health symptoms, whatnot, because they don't have the inherent stigma of thinking they're going to get jailed and lose their future over it. Our parents had that and they they conveyed that to us. So that's why, you know, fast forward October 17, 2018. When Justin Trudeau goes and legalizes weed, great, nobody's going to jail. And nobody had been really going to jail too much in Canada in the couple of years before that because they were slowly decriminalizing it. So it's great we weren't going to go to jail. But just because it's legal doesn't mean our communities are backing it. Look and, and take a look at who owns all these dispensaries, who owns all these cannabis companies. They're all white people. And they're people who don't struggle to get money from their relatives to get support, to get investment. But in the black community, no, we had stigmas. My own father was like had a huge issue with me starting Bud Sisters and the kind of, you know, the kind of work I do in that, you know, um, they're so used to judging it, even though it's legal, they can't let go of the habit of judging it such that even if it could help them, even if it could help them with, you know, management of pain or arthritis or even, you know, with chemotherapy um, symptoms, they won't think to use cannabis because of the stigma. And then they harm themselves in the process from using natural remedies that come from the earth and that their white counterparts are happy to use. So when legalization happened and I saw that there wasn't any education being brought towards us, there wasn't any advertising, all the all the, the stuff I saw regarding cannabis usually showed either white guys or white women in bikinis. Nothing aimed at me as a consumer. I thought, well, let's let's do something. Let's start a community that explains cannabis, that breaks it down, that tells you about the different products available on the market, the different devices you can use, the ways you can sneak cannabis into the office and the washroom, like, you know, things like that. Edibles and how to make them, how to how to grow your own weed. We started teaching that in our group and we started in March of 2020 and we are now just under 900 members. Originally, we tried to keep the Americans out because I had previously been in a black moms group and it was US, a black moms cannabis group, US based. And I realized 
their issues aren't our issues because it's not, you know, consistently legal. There's states that are legal and then there are states like Florida and Texas where it's not. Um, they're, the topics that they would get the most engagement were things that went over our head, like how to hide urine for a, a job test, a job screening. It's not something we encounter here. So we don't, you know, I'm never going to worry about how am I going to sneak in urine into the office. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, we're never going to have to, like, the other thing about legalization is that you can't hold it over the heads of mothers because yeah. people's children get taken away from them for smoking or ingesting any type of cannabis. And yes, that is more prevalent in Black and Indigenous communities in Canada. And so I think that people need to understand how, like, our... um our sort of reticence comes from trauma too yes. and trauma of the state taking something away from you whether it's 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 whether it's your future whether it it could be money it could be having your to hire children. a lawyer it could be your children it could, yeah. so i think too that's part of it that yeah. our community and our parents are scared they're yeah. scared for themselves and they're scared to us because it's been it's been reinforced that you know if you do this we're going to we're going to come for you and yeah. it's not like they were like out of their it's not like they were wrong they weren't wrong they were going off of lived experience despite the fact that maybe where they were from it was actually an herbal remedy that was respected and ritualized but let's to, to examine that, we've got to look at why there was a prohibition on cannabis. And that was all immigration and racially based. So it's great that, you know, in October of 2018, they've now legalized cannabis, but they didn't go and explain to everybody why it was legal and prohibited to begin with. And and what what changed and what your, you know, they didn't target communities because no. they never do. Okay, when I see the be careful of how much cannabis you use um, advertisements, first of all, they're all on a couch. Second of all, they're all white. Yeah. Third of all, I'm and I'm just like, what does this have to do with me? It's you know? not even relatable as an ad because that's not a sentiment that they feel in that community. They're not worried. They've never been worried about their kids using cannabis. Exactly. It was exactly. almost a rite of passage in, in their communities yeah. versus ours. Yeah. Right? You go to university, you go to college, you, you experiment with pot, and, you know, you go on. How many of our white converts talked about it? Right? A lot. Lots. Right? So, and and let's talk about the security and access. Um, one of the things we noticed in the Black Moms uh, Cannabis Group was some women, they were they were getting jumped when they would go to meet their dealer. Let's talk about dealers, all right? Often mm -hmm. they were men. Often, if you're a woman, are you safe around these men? Yeah. Sometimes they're trying to smoke with you or they yeah. want to, you know, give you a discount and if you if you'll date them. Like, yeah. it's never just a transaction right. or inherent potential harms. I have a podcast episode where my guest was like, the best thing that ever happened to me was when I got a woman dealer, you know, yeah. because it was a game changer for her. Accessing canvas for a lot of black women came from our older brothers, 
mm-hmm. or parents or older cousins or the guys we dated, mm-hmm. right? Because most of the men, most of the dealers were men. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So again, with legalization, yes, it's legal, but it doesn't mean we all came out knowing how to buy it. Yeah. And so a group like the Afro-Canada Blood Sisters was a chance for us to explain what this labeling means, you know? What do you do if you had if you wake up and you're still high from last night's edible? Well, use some CBD, maybe take some black pepper as well. But these are things that we have found on that'll help to at least help neutralize your your high if you've had too much cannabis in your system. So these are things that you know a lot of cannabis educators are aware of, but not the general population, right? And when you th- when you compare that to all that we know about tobacco smoke, all that we know about alcohol. Why are they not trying to do more to educate us about cannabis? Right? Why do you think that is? I think the racial stigmas are still attached to a lot of the older people in bureaucratic positions, Mm -hmm. to be very honest. And I think they thought that, okay, we'll legalize it and they should shut up, you know? But legalizing something and then not making it a viable business because the taxation is too onerous on it, or making it not viable because all the banks and all the insurance companies are going to surcharge you because you touch cannabis. That's the other thing they don't talk about, right? Because it's illegal in the States. Well, a lot of the banks here don't want to touch business accounts that have cannabis. Interesting. Still, even though it's legal. Even though it's legal. I had my my website, my e-commerce site, okay, get shut down within hours because Square wouldn't touch anything to do with cannabis. And I'm not selling meat. I'm selling hoodies, hoodies, uh-huh. uh-huh. okay. But because cannabis education is in our our website, they shut us down within two hours. Wow. Let's talk about Facebook editing and those algorithms and the censorship. Right? Mm-hmm. Snoop doesn't get censored on IG, mm-hmm. but cannabis businesses do all the time. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So a lot of us are kind of like on that cliff, on the edge of the cliff, waiting for the Americans to federally legalize it because it's anticipated. Then it becomes a game changer. Like you have the biggest state like New York now getting into cannabis. All right. And they're anticipating making a big footprint, probably in the consumption and the production but you can be the biggest cannabis producer if you want. If it's still federally legal, you can't cross states with it, which it's limiting a lot of those operators on the money they can make. I see. I so see. federal legalization has to happen for banking. It has to happen to lower, to increase the capacity of insurance products available. But also has to happen because Mark Zuckerberg's going to use it as a reason to attack and ban my posts anytime I mention weed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, it's it's a lot to when you and it, when you think about all the people trying to have successful businesses in this space with those challenges in front of them, you know, it, it just gets even more difficult. So here's the thing. I have um, a like standalone weed dealer, like mm-hmm. like cannabis store. Okay. Um, that I frequent. Yeah. And like down the street is like Tokyo Smoke. Okay, right. So corporate store, a big corporate store, which I understand. 
has been sold to the to the owners of the Edmonton Oilers. Okay. Yeah, I know. I just I just read that in prep for this. And I was like, oh, okay. So you have to have it seems like you have to have um a kind of uh you have to have like white people of a certain class or something like this for all of those big canopy um grow grow ops and so on and so forth. And it seems like the little dealer, I see Tokyo smokes everywhere, but the little dealer has better weed, to be honest. Yes. And and sometimes you'll have better service because um they're not a corporate store. They're they they're relying on your repeat business. So they know that if they don't give you great recommendations, you're not necessarily gonna come back. But it is very much becoming um the industry has been, you know, it, it it expands contract. You know, like a year ago, everybody was complaining about every second street corner had a dispensary. Right. A lot of them are closed, right? right. The, like the things that we thought were going to happen were going to happen in terms of competition. But whenever they, they argue about the accessibility of those disp- dispensaries, there's another component people are forgetting. We have nowhere we can go to um, consume and and consume publicly mm-hmm. we can't go to a cafe and just eat edibles yeah and do that they yeah. still haven't made that legal they haven't made consumption in restaurants legal like don't you think if you can go and order you know a drink shouldn't i be able to order a cannabis drink mm-hmm. right and that's not possible i when i go to a concert i'm sneaking in my cannabis drink because i don't drink alcohol Yeah. So they're still they're still moving consumers to the shadows is basically what you're saying in terms of consumption. Yeah. And part of the motivation is they didn't want to do whatever they thought they did wrong with alcohol and kids because the priority too, the whole motivation behind legalization was keeping weed away from kids. All right. And um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Like under 18 kids? Yeah. They wanted to keep... Surprise! You're a little late for that. I know. I know. But going after illicit dealers and keeping weight away from kids, that was the two mandates of Health Canada. And so when you look at that, and and some will say it's probably more prevalent, but I don't even... I don't even know if you could say it's more or less compared because weed was always around in high school. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. it probably looks more sophisticated. Vape pens definitely, you know, are a lot more portable than what we had back in the day. Mm-hmm. But we I don't roll that shit. Right? Like, Vaginally. So know if there's more or less. And that's not uh-huh. something I could really assess. But I do know there's not a lot of education. So, for example, you're 17, 18 years old. You're graduating. Now you're going to, you know, college or university. Where is your education coming from? Your friends? Mm-hmm. The butt tender at the dispensary? Right? Mm-hmm. And it's 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 going to happen, even though they're trying to go slower. Eventually, we will have, you know, um, how you have a beer garden at concerts and festivals. You're going to have cannabis corners eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberta actually is ahead of Ontario. They allow, I believe, the delivery of cannabis to festivals now. Hmm. A minute ago. Yes. And then, but you got to also look, Alberta also has private 
liquor, right? Liquor on the Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were always going to be more pro-business probably than Ontario. Mm-hmm. Whereas, remember, there was a time in Ontario, they thought, well, we can only let the LCBOs, you know, sell meat, which is kind of what Nova Scotia... And not on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and Nova Scotia, they sell weed to the public through um, their liquor, their, their, their version of the LCBO. So basically, alcohol and weed in terms of legislation, or they used alcohol as a framework for weed. In it's terms the same of- ministry, my dear. Oh, right. Health Canada. Good Lord. Right. But it's also the AGCO, Alcohol, Liquor, Gaming Commission. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, the Alberta version that does cannabis out there. So I could see a mandate there where in Alberta, they're probably like, well, we can't let liquor do what alcohol, you know, like we can't have cannabis not do what alcohol can do because right. they want to generate their pro-business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think they're more progressive because of that. Whereas in Ontario, they still don't, you know, they they, they probably were talked into letting independent dispensaries come in. Quebec, it's all government. It's SQDC, and they look very institutional. Very from the outside, I didn't even care to go in. Like I've yet to go into a Quebec dispensary yet. You know, it's 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 funny because it's like in Alberta, you get some good shit. Um, (laughs) I love the phrase. You're gonna make me want to check it out myself. No, I'm serious. You do. Like you do get some good shit. I was impressed. They're closer to BC, right? And they, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. BC has the best, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have I not smoked in BC? This is this is wild to me. Anyway, so tell us about what the market writ large is like right now. So where it came from when when it was first legalized in 2017, 2018, yeah, and um. How has it changed and what's it, what is it like now? Okay, well, when it first got legalized, there was a, if you remember, there was a lottery. I believe it was 25 licenses they gave out. And I feel I'm like- I'm sorry, the- how many? 25 licenses. It was something ridiculous. Wait, wait, all across the country? No, Ontario, Ontario. It was a license system. Did, like did- a lottery and and you had to- I think, it, and you need it. There was a certain financial requirement as well. You need to to get a dispensary, and you have to also. What about what about a um, like a what was I going to say? Not justice, um, like a criminal background check. Yes, yes. And so- you got to be able to prove security. Like everybody, like you have to like definitely as an owner, you would have to have um, you know, pass certain security clearances. Uh-huh. as well and in terms of how the industry is doing in terms of representation because let's talk about black folks in the cannabis space um, yes let's okay i remember um when greenport opened it was on the one year and anim- two year anniversary of of legalization they opened in 2020 october and during the pandemic lockdowns, and they are still open to this day, to their credit. I went to an OCS event last year for Black History Month. And it was that was a Ontario Cannabis Store. Yes, the Ontario Cannabis Store hosted a Black History Month event. 
And the keynote speaker was Donisha Pendergrass, who's the granddaughter of Bob Marley. And she was talking about Rastafarian culture and cannabis. And um, it was interesting because after after her, her speaking, they had three owners in the cannabis space. And I could tell you right now, two out of three of the people that are on stage, those stores aren't open anymore. They were either sold or closed. So again, like what what's the difference? What happened? Um, so you had 25 licenses and then and I then see- they then they opened it up and anybody could get a license. Mm-hmm. So and there are black license holders, there are black retailers, but they're not as obvious, if that makes sense. Whereas when it opened, it was it was really touted. The first black woman to own cannabis dispensary in Toronto, in Ontario. It was a big deal. Um, but, you know, think about it um, a couple of years later, Lockport Cannabis was down the street, probably around the corner from her and opened and shut. Uh, Corey's, which was another black woman-owned dispensary. They are no longer open. Sometimes um, it's people that have a business background, maybe, but don't have a background in weed or understand mm. weed or never sold weed, but they saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's competition in the area. Sometimes people get paid to sell their business or to close like, mm-hmm. because a big competitor is moving into the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met oh a, a great owner of a black-owned dispensary in North York, and he's got a couple of licenses. So even though they'll apply and maybe get multiple licenses, they're not. They're being a lot of owners are being very careful about how they open and where they open mm-hmm. because it is a tough business. Um, there's a a black woman-owned dispensary called Mind Your Budness in <laughs> South. I love it. I love it. There is that is so black. Yeah, mind your buttons. <laughs> I will never forget that now. And they have unique products. So they'll ha- they have infused ketchup chips, infused salt and vinegar, infused popcorn. Really? Yes. What they Why have did infused you- like salad dressing. So they did a sweetheart deal. For Valentine's, where you could buy basically an infused kit. Really? Mm-hmm. Where is this place? <laughs> it's in South Etobicoke on the Queensway. Okay. Okay, I need to. Next it's time I go to Toronto, a black woman, oh. mother and daughter that own it. Okay, I I'm sorry. I'm like I'm like getting you know. I'm getting getting lulled. Okay, so. Like, so they had, okay, so it, the licenses opened up and tell us what happened with all of these growers too. Like what happened to Canopy? What happened to Smith Falls? What yes. happened? They they got big, big. And basically what really happened is the price of weed really dropped. Um, I because of competition? Um... Well, they, I think it, it's the commodity. It's the, the price of the value. It was going to come down and it had to go down to compete with street. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, they're cheaper. So, but here you've got these, you know, multi million dollar facilities and 
needed needed certain revenue. Yeah, 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 yeah. For it to be viable, right? So I think in the case of Canopy, there was probably, you know, management issues. And they definitely, a lot of them had oversupply that they really, and then what happens if you have an oversupply, but it's dry wheat and Canopy's wheat wasn't the greatest. Yeah, nobody wants to buy that shit. Nobody wanted to buy it. So now they're having to write it off, write it down, write it down as these losses, right? Uh So that's the story of them. Now, here's a good news story. Chronic Relief is got a black CEO. I'm actually going to their their black cannabis event this evening. Oh, nice. Owner uh, Stephen Conville, he's doing well. Chronic Relief is located in Keel and Lawrence. It's a beautiful facility. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so they're still there. They're plugging through. They're, they talk about very honestly about the challenges. And a lot of these cultivators are struggling with the excess type, the, the excise tax and the pressures that puts because the tax, the way the taxing I understand is, it's taxed at what they think it should sell at and not the actual reality of what the weed sells at. So isn't it like 23% of something like that of um, the revenue? Uh, or the price. The, actual the price. I think it's like yeah, 20 no, yeah. I think it is up the, It's the price. It's up yeah. the price. Yeah. Yeah. And and they expected the price to be higher than it is? They did. And yeah. the excise tax issue is also a complaint in California. It's also probably a complaint in Colorado. So who knows? I mean, was that an extra tax meant to to punish the cultivators or to pr- punish people for wanting it? Or was it the price of, of doing business? I don't know. Because the other side of it, too, is What's the point of a tax if people can't pay it? They're not going to be collecting it. Actually, I read that, that, you know, it's difficult to collect. And some people think it's because it's too high. And yeah, so. And to be honest, like. I'm thinking about bank accounts and I'm thinking about how you collect tax without like a business account. Right. Right. And so if it's difficult to get a business account, then how are you going to like, then it becomes a cash only business and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Is is weed really, um, is cannabis really a cash only business at this point? I would say in the indigenous communities, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have the same, um, they don't have the same facilities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I don't think that should stay the case. And part of the, I think the issue is that when legalization happened, they weren't even considering the indigenous community and their rights to the plant. I, I understand that they just like ignored the indigenous community on consultations. Entirely. Entirely. And then you've got the province of Quebec that basically acts like they own the soil. So and let me give you a classic example to illustrate that. With legalization, not only was it decriminalizing and making weed accessible, but everybody was granted the ability or a permission to grow four plants. Two provinces fought against that, Manitoba and Quebec. Quebec going to Quebec, man. You're always going to Quebec. And let <laughs> it raid there, but yeah, Quebec's going to Quebec. So, And they won. That's the crazy thing. They took it all the way to the Supreme Court and apparently. Really? 
in Quebec. Yeah. So you can't grow plants you in Quebec? Unless, you cannot grow weed unless you have a medical grow license in Quebec. You also can't get sugary edibles in Quebec. Only savory. They have like infused beef jerky. Why? Because of children? Yep. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't get gummies. They don't even come in in the store. Not to mention, you know how hard it is to open these packages? Yes. You know how many times it's like annoying. Cuts and like all kinds of things. Like I've been out on it, especially if I'm on the street. Like sometimes, like I'll be like, here, you got to open it for me because I'll be outside stepping on it trying to open the down. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard. It's not just like, it's not like an aspirin bottle or a no. or a Tylenol bottle. Yeah. No. It, imagine if you do have mobility issues, how how hard it is. Even on, and it's been a complaint of mine of even as a, a medical cannabis patient, because those are the same containers they use in the medical cannabis, you know, orders as well. And I would get these cartridges, and I'm like, I can't open them. I'd have to go to my cousin. Can you open these for me, please? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point you made about um, people with disabilities yep. and the difficulty that they would have open just opening the package. Speaking of access, yeah. And let's talk about coverage, right? Because so, actually, yes. let's let's um, let's define what you do in terms of insurance. Okay, well, my, my current day job is I handle lawsuits from car accidents and slip and falls. Mm-hmm. And that actually was my first exposure to medical cannabis in that certain people would get a medical cannabis prescription. And instead of getting pharmaceutical meds, they would elect to use medical cannabis instead for their pain management particularly. And can I just jump in or by grams. Sorry, go ahead. Can I just jump in and say that pharmaceutical drugs are powerful things and they cause havoc on your system. Yes. Um, They are expensive. They are, they have really bad side effects. That being said, I can get all the painkillers covered under my, my Manulife plan. I cannot get my medical cannabis covered unless I have a specific certain conditions like Crohn's disease, there's a list of specific conditions they will cover your medical cannabis for. That is it. Why is that? Why are they quicker to cover Celebrex and all the painkillers I can handle, mm-hmm. but they will not cover my medical cannabis? And I'm telling you, as a medical cannabis patient, once I d- became that, I stopped filling regular prescriptions. Mm-hmm. I only need my hate fever meds, mm-hmm. right? Like I didn't need my medical, like I didn't need painkillers. I didn't need the antidepressant, but mm-hmm. I'm paying out of pocket. And medical was still, it's still more expensive than adult use. Recreational cannabis is cheaper because there's You're fewer, right. fewer and fewer medical pa- cannabis patients because once people could go to a regular dispensary to get it, they don't bother necessarily renewing or going and getting their prescription. Right. So there's that part of it too. But it's it's really irks my soul how car accidents will deny people their medical cannabis coverage but you know they'll cover their their prescription meds but Mm -hmm. they won't and and will nickel and dime you over the medical cannabis as well even though it's coming from a treatment plan from an approved facility and everything 
Um, but and and then they'll take the denial as far as a tribunal or a judge, and then they'll get slapped on the wrist because the judge will cover it as long as you prove that you need it and you're buying the weed anyway. They're going to ultimately end up having to pay for it. Yeah. But why are they denying you? Whereas yeah. I can go and get my prescription filled, and it's a five dollar copay, and off I go. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about insurance okay. and your specialty in that. Well, my specialty in insurance is basically I've gone from handling lawsuits from injuries, um, sustained in car accidents, and I'm going to leave that to become an insurance broker for uh, cannabis businesses as well as psychedelics businesses in the space. Um, it's pretty much a well-known fact that psilocybin is probably going to get you know, approved for medical use more and more. And that is true? Yes. Yes. For um, for a lot of mental health issues, right? That's more yes. mental health? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, the, I find I've been reading that healthcare practitioners will consider it when someone is um, has like medication resistant depression. So they've tried different SSRIs and other meds and nothing has worked. And psilocybin, when you're micro, and it's usually microdosing, right? And so microdosing won't usually leave, leave you with any visible effects versus say, like we, we talked about, like, you know, um, other um, pharmaceutical drugs will have an effect on your system. They tear up your stomach. Um, that's not the case with psilocybin. So it's anticipated that, you know, legislation will come down um, eventually, maybe similar to cannabis, where they'll approve it maybe for medical first, and then eventually you'll have, you know, approval for recreational psilocybin. Right now, there are little shroomy stores and fungi stores that are actually opening up everywhere, you know? And um, so that's usually a precursor of what's to come. So how realistically does the insurance broker for marijuana work? Well, um, there's very few markets right now available, but we're trying to increase that. And so the company I work for, that I'll be working for, (laughs) Equa, they actually do specialty risks. So they're in the business of doing niche insurance for niche types of products, you know, or events, things like that. So um, it starts by getting a broker that has connections to great underwriters that are willing to think outside of the box. Because when you think about the reluctance and the stigma, well, the stigma is right there in the underwriters and in the boardrooms of these corporations as well. They're not rushing to um, approve this, even if they do use cannabis themselves privately, you know, that that stigma is still out there. So by by getting into this market and bringing what I know, even from my lived experience, as well as what I've seen in terms of what gets approved, what doesn't get approved, or the struggles of patients post-injury, as well as the trends, more and more people when they get injured are turning to use cannabis rather than you know, uh, pharmaceutical drugs, those things are going to have to change. And I think if the government could get more proactive in making the health insurers cover these more, that would go a long way. But it starts with getting the doctors behind it. And a lot of doctors still have issues with cannabis. 
doctors don't even know anything about diet and exercise. So I'm not surprised. Exactly. Exactly. And part of it, too, is, you know, I don't know. Does the cannabis industry have to take them out golf fanning and stuff and do whatever probably. the industry did to get their buy-in? But um, the reluctance is real. And, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, I see all kids with psychosis in the ERs. And it's like, yes, no one is recommending or advocating for kids to use cannabis. That's not what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But when you put intentionality, even people that use weed from their faithful dealer for the last 20 years, that can be a very intentional person who's very high functioning during the day. And they just use weed because they have severe insomnia at night. Mm-hmm. Or they hate their job. Or they hate their job. Exactly. <laughs> right? So so that's really interesting about, you don't think about the insurance. You don't. But insurance is needed. Like, for example, a dispensary can want to do an event, a cannabis event, and they can get very easily a liquor license insured, but they can't get a license to... They will struggle to get a license to have cannabis consumption on site. And right now, they never let you consume cannabis and drink in the same site. Right. You have to have a barrier of some kind. Right. Even if it's like, you know, a rope fence. So how do you see the, is the market growing for Black women and how is it growing, I guess? I see or, it in. Or is it like, is it mainly black men who are in the that space? What would you say yeah, that not, gender looks like? I'm not going to be able to say that it's mainly black men, although you do see some black men. At, I would say in terms of the owners, you do see more black men than black women in terms of the cultivation spaces, although there are black women, well-known black women like Ashley Athel, who's uh, owner of Harvester her and her brother, Michael Athill. They're the first brother and sister, uh, black brother and sister to own a microcultivation. So they own Harvester and- they So that's own- the growth, right? The growth. Yeah, that's the growth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But again, to get their products, I think, yeah, they it's only edibles. They sell to other, other producers, right? A lot of them make their money selling to other producers because it was easier than selling directly to the market. Right, right. And other, also incentives yeah. to get people that say were illicit or legacy dealers to come over and be and get legalized. So I'll give you an example. A cousin of mine who had a longtime edible business in Vancouver just brought his 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 edibles to the market. And now his his edibles are on the shelves in Alberta, as well as in B.C. Treats and treats. Hmm. And he literally started up as a baker and who, you know, his friends were paying him and he thought, I might as well, you know, get paid by putting weed in this. I I love this story because edibles, edibles are so dope. <laughs> they are. They are. Right? That body high. Woo. Exactly. Exactly. What is there any material difference in the market between edibles and the flower? I think edibles are growing in popularity because people are reluctant to, if you're an ex-smoker, it's hard for you to want to get excited about smoking it. Right. Those people, and then some are good with vape pens, but some don't enjoy them. So the edibles and being able to eat 
also edibles are more um they're easier to go around with mm-hmm. you can fly with edibles and eat them on the plane very easily really because they they're they're stopping you your liquids. They're not stopping your chocolates. They're not stopping your baked goods. Even to America, let's <laughs> well, add that uh, offline. But uh, <laughs> I, I did I did manage to um, do a little transaction whereas I was able to bring fuzzy peaches, <laughs> like real peaches or like like real peaches. Fuzzy peaches infused fuzzy peaches. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh. A little bit of ingenuity. Uh, okay. We'll bring them to the States. Okay. People, nobody on this podcast is saying. Divorcing illegal activity. And yeah, or like taking it to the States because they're really serious about that shit. They are very serious and it's not worth it. If you can just yeah. wait. And why? And why it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, so, I no, recommend. Nobody's saying that here. We're talking about across Canada. Okay. Yes, bye. across Canada, you can go with up to twenty-eight grams or thirty grams, coast to coast. Although I don't know why I would bring it when I would just buy it there. Well, on the plane, just to have you know a nice plane ride. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because let me tell you, Air Canada delayed my vacation last week by six and a half hours. My my flight was delayed. And I had started taking the edibles anticipating an on-time flight. So yeah. I was like, what am I going to do? Those, 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 pe- listen, those fuzzy peaches came in handy. Okay. You better send me some of these fuzzy peaches. You need to send me a care package, okay? Then you would. For yeah. sure. For yeah. Sure. You like cause like like fuzzy peaches and shit. Oh, do you have any cookies? I don't, but treats and treats there. They sell the cookies for sure. I love the cookies. And they're 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 on they're in the Alberta market, so you'll be able to find them locally. Oh yeah. In Ontario yet, but they're really good and he's a great baker. So oh yeah. It's Sorry. Kind of it'll feel like it'll feel good he's got a s'mores one and he's got like a brownie that is really really oh yeah the brownies too okay i shouldn't be so i should be more professional than this but fuck it Uh (laughs) we're talking baked goods it is yeah no it's like this is a fun conversation i gotta say i'm enjoying myself too so you've you've mentioned a lot of things that Health Canada has to do. Does Health Canada know that they have to do that? Because I saw they went through a survey for yeah. owners and um, you know wanted to get feedback. They're they're prioritizing their priorities, and probably the owners are the people that are squawking the most because the taxation issue is a big one um but also we're kind of too far in to turn around so you they better fix it the government has to fix the problems because letting the businesses that just don't have enough money fail that's not the right answer you know there's a lot of great talent that gets invested in some of these businesses you know um just as a uh, a data roundup here. Um, Health Canada conducted also 
a survey for users, the consumers of cannabis. So here are the results in terms of what consumers had to say. Uh, The current restrictions are too strict and or bureaucratic. That's 35%. The current THC limits are too low. That's 13%. I can't argue with that. The current purchase, possession, and cultivation limits are too low. That's 6%. The current regulations around branding are too restrictive. That's 6%. And excessive restrictions on legal retailers drive illegal market sales, 4%. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much the long and the short of it. But let's go to branding and how branding affects the, not the market, but individual sales in terms of, because like I said, okay, a lot of, I'm talking about my corner weed store. Okay. The packaging is not pretty. Like it's it's very meat and potatoes. This is what you get. This is how much THC is in it. This is how much CBD is in it. We didn't talk about CBD yet. Um, this is uh, what's up, basically. Yeah. And it's like a black package, and that's it's it. Intentional. The government yeah. of Canada made that a rule to the point where I don't know if you remember when Ghost Drops came out. This brand, Growth Drops, they came from the state. Very popular brand. They had neon pink jars. Hello. And they changed them to black because it's too attractive to kids. You cannot have any colors that are attractive to children or deemed attractive to children. But I feel like this attractive to children thing is like when, when it's already bought and goes home. You know what I mean? Because... Children can't just walk into. I've never seen a child, right, in a dispensary. Okay, so I I'm just like this attractiveness to children. I'm thinking is between like maybe the parent and the child and just having it in the house. A thousand percent. And whenever you hear of accidental ingesting of of cannabis. More often than not, though, it's not those types of packages. It's usually the legacy or illicit market. And I'll tell you why. Mm. When you're buying when you're buying the fuzzy peaches, most of the time they're in a a package with the same branding, the same coloring as the regular fuzzy peaches. Mm. And then there's a little THC sign or they'll have, you know, so that is what a kid is going for because they don't know. They see fuzzy peaches. They're not looking for the little THC on there. Whereas if you bought it in a black baggie and there was no fuzzy peaches on it, that kid's not going in that bag. So that's the rationale behind the plain packaging. And I get it because whenever those, you know, an accidental, chances are it was in a package that looked like regular Skittles or looked like, you know, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, definitely the Sour Patch Kids. Yes. Right. So why not put them in plain packaging so that kid doesn't take a chance? But that that's the rationale behind it. And as long as those cases happen, it supports it. Let's talk about CBD and the CBD market and what that looks like and how similar it is to flour, et cetera, et cetera. 
CBD is is cannabis that has less than three percent THC. So, and it's um, basically going to work with your CB one and CB two receptors and it, of your endocannabinoid system. But it makes you feel good without feeling high. Basically, it it it's is. also been proven to be helpful with with um, anti inflammation as well. Oh. Um, so most of, um, people that take medical cannabis, there is a C- CBD component, but not all, you know, and some, some use it because they find that's what works best with their condition, mm-hmm. right? Versus others. I find that I work better with a little bit of THC with the CBD mm-hmm. definitely for myself. Now, CBD, um, there has been a movement that's been pushing for CBD to be reclassified so that it could be in health, like in health products. Because, mm-hmm. for example, people are using CBDs in creams and gels now yeah, and as diet supplements, right? So mm-hmm. should we be treating it the same way we do THC behind closed doors or should we be able to have a CBD section at a shopper's? Yeah. Yeah, Sephora CBD infused cosmetics, right? Yeah, you know there's CBD and lube and stuff. So you know, I've seen it at um, Artly Naughty. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm getting. I'm like taking notes here. <laughs> when I edit this, I will be t- writing this down. Okay, he runs to Artly Naughty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They should give you a care package. Um, you know, so what's the next step for you and for the market itself? Well, the next step for me is I'm going to get licensed very soon to become my the broker with Equa, and I'll be actually going to different conferences and getting a real feel for where the pain points are in this industry at this point. Mm-hmm. There's the ones that I know off the top of my head, like, you know, it's the price and the premiums. For example, even payment processors. There's only certain payment processors that'll work with cannabis companies. Yeah, you were talking about Stripe. Yeah. Right? So, and that's even in your store, right? Mm-hmm. So, chances are, if you're with Merco, are you paying more? Are the fees higher? There's a surcharge often. Yeah. You know, it's For like the processor, the yeah. Yeah. It's the price of doing cannabis business. So, I think as insurance capacity builds, hopefully these things will drop a bit in price. And I'm looking forward to the opportunity um, to get in front of underwriters and to educate them more about the realities of cannabis mm-hmm. versus their their stigmatized visions and, mm-hmm. and assumptions about it. Yeah, this it's a new day. Right? Exactly. Right? And, that you know, this isn't your grandpa's meat. Mm-hmm. But also, with the Bud Sisters, we're looking forward to... We're, we do weekly um, mental health check-ins. That's when Black women check in on Zoom. And we have women that join us regularly from like as far as Huntsville, Alabama. We've had a woman join us from Trinidad, um, wherever. And we talk about whatever's bothering us that week. That's continuing. Um, and um, in the spring and summer, we move to in-person events. We'll do puffs in the park and things like that. Really? Yes. Yes. So we love band fires. Band fires? Bonfires. Oh, bonfires. So, okay. So how do people um, access AfroBud? Okay. Well, you can find us on Instagram at Afro Canada Bud Sisters. 
that's on IG, or you can visit our website at www.afrobloodsisters.com. And just sign up? Yeah, you can sign up for our newsletter or follow us on IG, and then you'll be up to date on all of our events because we broadcast primarily on our IG and we post every link in our link tree as well on our IG. Oh, good. You have a link tree. Okay. Thank you, Khadija, for educating us about cannabis. This has been so good. I've been wanting to be on your bad and bitchy podcast for a minute. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry it took so long, but here we are. We finally did it. Everybody, uh, I would encourage you to look up Afro Canada Butt Sisters and also get some education from them and other places especially as it comes to medical stuff and cbd versus thc versus edibles and and all of that all right everybody we'll see you next time bye